0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Estate Red Zone, brought to you by the Texas Real Estate Research Center at Texas A&M University. I'm Haley Reeder-Wiley, Communications Coordinator. Today is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022, and it's the final podcast of the year. On this day in 1837, the Congress of the Republic of Texas established the Board of Medical Censors a forerunner of the Board of Medical Examiners, to grant licenses to practice medicine and surgery. Without a license, physicians could not collect unpaid fees in court. The law required that the board be composed of one physician from each senatorial district and that the members be graduates of authorized colleges and universities. The board was scheduled to meet once each year, But difficulty of transportation over long distances often prevented annual meetings. The board was discontinued by a state legislative act in 1848. Now on to today's podcast. Economic forecasts are tricky, what with so many state, national, and global variables at play. But using their collective understanding of current economic and market conditions and by looking at past market trends, the Texas Real Estate Research Center's research team has made some educated guesses for 2023. I sat down with several members of the center's research team to host a virtual panel discussing different sectors of Texas economy heading into the new year. Let's start with a high-level review of the Texas economy as a whole. Elevated inflation and fears of recession have weighed heavily on the minds of Texans for several months. Inflation will likely stay elevated through 2023, and employment growth will moderate. Research economist Dr. Adam Perdue explains.
1: The economy here in Texas seems to be still doing quite well. There has been a lot of talk of a recession, but as of now, when you look at the data, especially here in Texas, um, we don't see... Um, much going on that people aren't generally concerned about when they talk about a recession. Uh, production is still increasing, employment still increasing, um, wages are increasing, migration still coming to the state of Texas. Across Texas, we have increased our employment to above where we were um, in February of 2020, and even more so to above trend lines that we could trace out from between 2015 and 2019, um, so we've more than recovered from where we could have expected to be in 2020 on employment levels. And then we haven't yet even seen a slowdown in that, which is something that we've expected to see. There's only so much growth that we could expect to see this quickly and in this uh, kind of time period that we've seen. And so that now that we've more than recovered, it was already the expectation of the center that we would start to see employment growth moderate back towards uh, the trend rate of growth that we had seen back in 2015 and 2019. And we've yet to really do that. The growth in Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, and all across Texas has still largely come in at rates above where we were even in uh, 2015 and 2019. And so we we're expecting that to slow down, um, but our general forecast just expects that to slow down, that greater growth to slow down uh, to the levels that we saw between 2015 and 2019. But that is just looking at the numbers that we see to now. But there are definitely larger concerns that we can see on the horizon and which way these other large concerns shake out will have a large impact on the economy um, in the state of Texas. So one big thing that's been driving a lot of the concern in the global economy has been China's zero COVID policy. And then now their responses to ongoing public protests so then this has been part of the supply constraints that we've seen across the economy. And so if it gets better or worse in China, if they continue to clamp down or clamp down even harder, then we would expect to see supply constraints increase and that being harder uh, to get to goods and services that we use to produce other goods and services, but also for our local consumption. But if they lighten up, then the opposite would happen. And that's mostly what we kind of see with these big things, right? We don't Right now there's already some constraints, and um, we're not hundred percent sure exactly which way they're gonna go. And so this also includes Russia's war against Ukraine, which has disrupted global grain and energy markets. And this has increased instability across the globe and also helped contribute to inflation. If that gets worse over there, if the conflict gets worse and causes even more of this instability, then we might are more likely to see a recession in the coming year or two. If it gets better, then it will help ease those concerns. And related to Russia's war is Europe's energy situation. And so they have stopped taking in as much of the Russian oil and natural gas. And so then they are very close to potentially having to shut down much of their economy um, if the winter is too cold. If that happens, then that increases the concerns um, for our economy as performance over the next year. And then finally, the Federal Reserve is attempting to control inflation. So this is rather unprecedented situation with COVID and the rate cuts that we saw with COVID, which is also kind of what caused the housing prices to increase somewhat. But now the Federal Reserve is reversed course uh, to try to fight inflation. And this obviously is also having an impact on, on the housing market, but the economy is at large. And so then each of these can go either way and cause us to change our forecast.
0: The Fed's fight against inflation has led to increasing mortgage interest rates, which have put downward pressure on home sales. Regardless, the market will still be tight in 2023, though prices will likely level off. Lead data analyst Joshua Roberson shares more insights on next year's housing market.
2: Well, everyone's obviously wondering what's going to happen in 2023. I think to get into that, we need to talk a little bit about where we're at right this moment. As of the time of this recording, sales have noticeably dropped off largely due to the the rapid rise in interest rates. And so what's dictating interest rates is largely the actions of the Federal Reserve uh, trying to fight inflation. I'm sure everyone's very aware of that situation. And so a lot of 2023 is gonna be dictated by how far we go in controlling uh, inflation because as rates increase, will so mortgage rates, and of course we, we've seen just how much of an impact that's had on housing sales. Uh, some of the thoughts Uh, regarding sales specifically is, you know, is the worst behind us, you know, with such a rise in interest rates. Is that kind of a knee jerk reaction? Are people just kind of wanting to see what the first volley looks like? As it pertains to Texas, you know, there are still uh, strong demand drivers. For example, uh, this time last year, we were talking a lot about demographics, you know, who's buying homes, uh, a lot of millennial households forming families and, and moving uh, and upgrading into uh, into houses. Those people are still here and they still need housing. And of course, Texas along with Florida has benefited greatly from people moving from out of state. A lot of those people are higher uh, income earners, so those people are still here. And so that, that's still going to be a positive de- demand driver. I think one of the things that have been kind of surprising uh, with with a massive drop off in sales, home prices have cooled, but not as much as what some people would expect. So, according to our data, Texas median housing peaked back in June. I believe the uh, the amount was three hundred sixty thousand. Right now, it's at three thirty five. So that's that's twenty five thousand dollar decrease. So it has, has cooled some, but for reference, 2019, right before the, the COVID pandemic, median price was 241000 So I don't think we're going to get anywhere near that. Uh, even if you double the amount that we've dropped since June, that, that's, that's still going to be above 300000 So I think a lot of people have been kind of surprised at how resilient prices have been. And for the most part, it's still a tight market. Historically, months inventory is is basically kind of right back to where we started uh, right before the pandemic, right around three months. Uh, days on market, the, the the window of time needed to sell home uh, throughout the state is around forty days, give or take. Uh, before the pandemic, it was a little bit above sixty days. Uh, so there there are several indicators that show that it's still a fairly tight market. It has cooled down from the extremes, but it's still historically uh, um, you know pretty competitive I think right now another aspect is the construction market that that has certainly cooled down quite a bit I think I think that's one aspect of the market that we'll continue to, to look at so yeah volume has 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 decreased prices for the most part re- resilient and so I think I think we'll see more leveling off into into 2023. Um, in terms of sales, you know, of course, anything can change, but I, I think it's safe to say that we probably won't have sales numbers, you know, close to 2021, uh, 2020, even that was a very exceptional time frame, you know, dictated by mortgage rates. Uh, even if we dip back, back down to 2019 levels, 2019 was a record year, by the way. So to have a year, a sales year, uh, in that ballpark is nothing to be sad about.
0: The pandemic disrupted the office and retail markets as many companies moved toward remote or hybrid work and e-commerce. Will that trend continue into next year? Research economist Dr. Daniel Oney explains.
3: I'm going to talk about the three of the, the major commercial assets that we addressed in our 2023 uh, commercial forecasts. Uh, and I'll have a little bit of information uh, statewide, but really you know, commercial markets like housing markets are local. So uh, we want to spend a moment talking about the the trends and the performance in some of the bigger metros in the state. I'll begin with the the industrial asset class. So this, is, this has been the, the darling of investors and developers for a few years now. And there are some trend changes and inflections that happened during COVID that had made this sector even more attractive. One of the biggest ones, obviously, was the the acceleration of online shopping. Now, online uh, retail had been growing much, much faster than brick and mortar retail for quite a while. Some of the estimates are that the effects of COVID was to accelerate that trend by three to five years. So it's like we've jumped into the future in terms of where we are uh, on online sales. And, And you can see that in the last five years that Online sales have been growing at 15 to 17% per year compared to overall retail uh, that's about half that. And then you get down to department stores. They basically haven't had any growth at all. Now, why is retail important for industrial? Well, um, there's been some research that was originally done by Prologis, which is the the world's largest industrial REIT, that it takes more space, uh, maybe three times as much industrial space to support a dollar of online retail uh, compared to a dollar of brick-and-mortar retail. That's because of the way that the warehouses are laid out, the uh, pick-and-pack versus pallets, uh, other things. The inventory for online stores is greater, so there's more products. And so the growth in online retail has really driven a lot of industrial investment. Some of the other things that we see in Texas, of course, are just supply chains moving, more and more investment in Texas in the industrial market, Uh, in every market. One of the surprising things is uh, a city like Austin, which has historically been mostly office focused, has had really dramatic growth in both its employment and industrial uh, and its industrial inventory. So the trends and what we think is going to be happening in the industrial space going forward is that recent geopolitical and macroeconomic issues like interest rates going up making it harder for developers to to borrow the money to to build speculative buildings, and we've seen a lot of inventory growth from developers building a building, and then the uh, the retailers or the manufacturers coming along and just taking that space because there's been so much demand. That's gonna that's gonna slacken off a little bit, and a lot of the development in 2023 will probably be buildings that have been asked for specifically. You call them, you know, build-to-suit buildings. Uh, so those are going to continue, uh, and we'll probably see rental rates going up quite a bit for those buildings. Uh, And the vacancy rates, which are historic lows for industrial, is going to stay really low. Uh, Again, we expect trends of near-shoring. That means manufacturers, distributors that want to be close to the United States, but not in the United States. A lot of that will happen in Mexico. and So Texas will benefit from that a little bit indirectly. Switching over to the office market, this is a sector that's really been hit hard. Uh, in the last few years. Of course, COVID shutdowns sent everyone home, and there's been a transformation in the way office workers work. If you look at reported vacancy rates in buildings, they're probably lower than the actual usage of the buildings. Uh, Companies that track, for instance, uh, door badges, ID badges, uh, show that that, vacancy rates or actual occupation rates in buildings may be at 30% to 50%, depending on the market, Whereas we're still seeing, you know, vacancy rates that are much, much lower. It means there's a tenant in the space, uh, but they may not have people in the office all the time, or there may not be as many people in the office. And this is going to take a little while to, to unwind. So basically, uh, as companies begin to reevaluate leases, then you could see uh, some companies giving up office space. It's It's yet to be determined. One of the main things we pointed out in our forecast is that we believe there is going to be a more and more of a segmentation in the office market where the, the newer Class A buildings in nice submarkets that have lots of amenities, buildings that have lots of sustainability features will attract uh, tenants and will have good occupancy, should see good, strong rent growth, whereas buildings that are even 10 years old or older that may not be in the best or the, the prime submarkets might be suffering. You might see vacancies go up, and some of those building owners have to refinance their uh, their debt. Uh, they could be forced to negotiate new uh, new terms, and maybe even accept lower rental rates just to get people in the building and generate some cash flow. And finally, we'll talk a moment about retail, brick and mortar retail. Uh, people have been uh, predicting its demise for a long time, and we did discuss earlier on industrial on how retail is affecting that that mm-hmm. asset class. Uh, But we think that one of the things that's happened after COVID is a lot of people have had the interest to, you know, get back out, mingle. You've even seen more activity in traditional malls. So we think that brick and mortar retail will be fairly stable in 2023, barring a a recession where you see unemployment go up and incomes go down. That would, of course, hurt retail. But there's a lot of experimentation. Uh, Retailers are trying new store concepts. You're seeing different uses going into um, retail strip centers or power centers or malls that didn't used to be there. One of the biggest trends are fitness centers. And there's been some research showing that fitness centers going into a, a shopping center is driving a lot more traffic to the other retailers there, kind of the same way you, you would typically see or historically see a, a shopping center need to be anchored by a. Department store or a grocery store, uh, fitness centers in some ways are becoming a new anchor that drives traffic and, and helps some of these brick and mortar developments uh, maintain some some occupancy and generate some new traffic. And then restaurants and experience um, retail is going to continue to do well, especially in submarkets that have a little bit of walkability, nicer pedestrian amenities. Um, those should do reasonably well compared to more traditional uh, suburban-type large parking lot formats. Uh, Not that the suburban ones are going to be doing that much worse. It's just a little bit relative performance.
0: 2022's frenzy land market is expected to moderate next year, according to rural land market experts. Two of them, research economists Dr. Charles Gilliland and Dr. Lynn Krebs, are here to elaborate.
4: Well, for the past couple of years, Uh, It has been remarkable to watch what's going on in the land market. Uh, It has been a seller's market uh, to the point that basically anything that was offered for sale was snapped up quickly, which is unheard of in rural land. Rural land usually takes months, many months, for a a marketing process to to, uh, mature and, and reach a transaction. But that was not the case for the past couple of years. Uh, There is evidence now that things are slowing down. And when you hear that, you might think that it's becoming uh, a buyer's market. But that's not necessarily the case at this point. The slowdown is kind of returning the market to the normal flow that we had Prior to uh, the, the pandemic and in the, in the past couple of years, so uh, it's uh, uh, things are a little quieter. The, the uh, brokers report that their phones are not ringing as much, but they are still ringing, and there still appears to be uh, robust demand for good quality land, and that may be the the uh, biggest change. Uh, from a, a marketing standpoint going forward, uh, in the past couple of years, anything, no matter how many warts were on it, would sell. And in, in the uh, current uh, process going forward, uh, that may not be the case. Uh, the less attractive properties may may wind up sitting there for a while with not much attention to them. But if it's a good quality uh, property from all reports that I get, there's still strong demand for that. That's right. And we, we see a few headwinds for the rural land market like we see in other markets, uh, such as rising interest rates, which we expect to continue into 2023. Um, and we anticipate um, a recession in 2023. And we think that that's also going to have a dampening effect on, on demand going forward uh, for, you know, for the first half of 2023. Um, and like Charlie said, uh, time on the market for, uh, less attractive properties is expected to increase. And, uh, but, you know, really good quality tracks are still selling, uh, premium prices and, um, and moving pretty quickly. And, you know, with respect to price, we we talk about the fact that some of the properties may sit there longer and, There may be some pressure uh, uh, to reduce prices uh, in the near future, but uh, going into 2023, I wouldn't expect that it would be driving down prices uh, noticeably uh, in 2023. Uh, If the recession materializes, uh, maybe all bets are off for 2024 or late 2023. But I would kind of expect it to still see uh, some, possibly some price increases, uh, although probably not as much, definitely not as much as we saw a couple of years ago. Yeah, I would agree. That sounds about right. There have been so many other distractions that nobody has really noticed the fact that we had an extremely dry year. And Terrible crop conditions for for the agricultural sector of the uh, the rural land market. Um, the uh, going forward that may have uh, a couple of uh, implications for cropland land sales. Uh, first of all, um, there uh, may have been some pressure put on the bottom line of, uh, of farmers, and so they may not be as uh, anxious to, to buy as they have been. And also, the investors may be a little reluctant because of the, uh, the big increase in the input cost and um, not much revenue coming in. Uh, having said that, the farmers in this past year are probably in pretty good shape because of crop insurance that covered that. But uh, that's something to keep an eye on going forward uh, as the year progresses to see what, what happens with respect to the, to the uh, uh, ground moisture and that, that sort of thing. What, what kind of crops can we expect going forward?
0: Next year's energy market will be categorized by uncertainty and volatility. Research economist Dr. Harold Hunt wraps up today's virtual panel by sharing his thoughts on the oil and gas sector.
5: You know we've come up with a forecast next year for uh crude anyway of somewhere between 80 and a hundred dollars a barrel and so i would say that's a fairly wide range but to me the two big trends are uncertainty and volatility in the oil markets i mean i've never seen anything quite like this in my career on one side you've got the fear of recession and that's really affecting current prices more. I mean, today as we sit here, crude is in the low 70s. Uh, It's come down a bit from the 80s in the last couple of weeks. But then on the other side, we're hearing that uh, China lockdowns from COVID are ending. And so if that happens, that's going to increase demand. So how do those play out? It's hard to say. Are we really going into a deep recession or a shallow or not even a recession? And then on the supply side, you've got the uncertainty with Russia. So Russia and the Ukraine war, how is that going to go? And then the EU established an embargo on their oil and also a price cap. So how is that going to play out? That just went into effect. And also on the supply side, we've had a shortage of labor and material for quite a while. Uh, supply chain's been a problem, getting pipe, infrastructure, all those things. So that's really held back the supply side. Uh, the federal government has been given mixed signals. It's like, we want you to drill a lot right now, but in the future, we're really not that crazy about oil and gas. So how does a company operate in that environment? How do you plan for the future? Uh, it's really hard. And then investors lost so much money a few years ago that they're really not keen on companies producing a lot of oil they want profits they don't really want production so that's affecting the the supply side so the thought is that if oil comes much below 80 dollars a barrel for an extended when i say extended you know month or so a month or two that opec would probably step in and bring it back up. So we're in the low 70s today. If this continues probably through the end of the year, you would see, take action to bring it back up in the 80s. But then if you get much above 100, 110, 120, then people just don't use as much. You don't drive as much. You know, Companies don't use as much. So uh, we're thinking that band of, of 80 to 100 sounds like something that will – be reasonable this year. Uh, so I would say in the current environment, you know, anything can happen. Russia, who knows? Uh, China, who knows? But our best guess is that well, next year is going to be somewhere within the 80 to $100 range.
0: Thanks again to the Texas Real Estate Research Center's research team. To read their full 2023 forecast... Click the link on our podcast webpage and in the YouTube description box. While you're there, you'll also find links to related economic reports and articles. And while you're on our website, check out our research library. It includes a wide variety of research reports and articles. Latest topics include home buyer preference changes, floor plan copyright, like kind exchanges, coastal property rights, housing affordability, and more. The link is on our podcast webpage. That's going to be it for today's podcast. If you're looking for more from the Texas Real Estate Research Center, head to our website. That's www.recenter.tamu.edu. There, you'll find the latest data, research articles, blogs, news, and more. For more Texas real estate news, subscribe to Recon, our bi-weekly newsletter. You'll get all the biggest stories sent straight to your inbox every Tuesday and Friday. The link is down below. To stay up to date on when articles are published on our website, follow the Texas Real Estate Research Center on social media. You can find us with the handle at recentertx on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. For more podcasts like these, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or to our YouTube channel. All podcasts are also available for free on our website. Thanks for joining us today in the Real Estate Red Zone, brought to you by the Texas Real Estate Research Center in College Station, Texas, where we've been helping Texans make the best real estate decisions since 1971. This is Haley Reeder-Wiley, and have a happy new year. Bye!